Good morning and welcome to the Mr. Ellen Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Mosham. It's Monday, October 31st. Happy Halloween. The morning after Washington's near miracle win at Indianapolis. Here to talk about that, it's the Terry McLaurin and my Taylor Heineke, Matt Terrell. Hey, Matt. Hey, Jamie. Every, uh, I would say every week, but you know, every whatever cycle we're doing these podcasts on, you do that, you know, it's the to my, uh, I don't, I understand them less and less with every passing episode. Well, it's been a while. We haven't had one of these since the week two loss to Detroit that took the air out of the week one balloon. After that, there was two more losses, terrible losses to Philly and Dallas. Then a close one to Tennessee. But at that point, one and four felt like the season was over. I started scouting college quarterbacks. But here we are, three game winning streak. Heineke is back in our lives. We're at 500 in November. Matt, what's happening? Well, what's happening is the same thing that happens every year, which is that we were incredibly wrong on any number of specific details, but right in the basic overall shape of the Washington football season, which is that one way or another, they are going to get to an underwhelming, boring 500 record and not be in a position to draft one of the top quarterbacks. It's just you can set your watch by it. Well, I'm so torn on this because, like, yeah, of course, drafting a top college quarterback sounds wonderful. It's still a bit of a. A, a lottery you know ticket um that might not turn into anything but it sounds wonderful uh the thought of going like four and 13 just sounds so miserable you know i'm constantly torn between this like 500 in november hanging on to a wild card spot in december uh on the one hand versus just you know tearing it all down and you know, almost tanking for like a cj stroud type college qb uh, that that's kind of the perpetual state of being torn between, between those two things. Well, it's funny because you said tearing it down and I said uh, shooting for a top college quarterback. But if I'm being honest, what I want more than the college quarterback is the teardown. I'm just I'm it's I'm we're always chasing novelty to a certain extent, uh, you know, whether it's the, the idea that like the backup quarterback is going to be better, the rookie is going to be better, whatever. But like we have definitely reached the point where like my underwhelmed by Scott Turner's offense uh, outweighs my impressed by Scott Turner's offense. My underwhelmed by Ron Rivera's faults outweighs uh, the things, the ge- things that I genuinely think he's very good at uh, the, you know, fact that he seems like actually a decent human being, all of that. Um, I'm just, I'm ready I'm ready to find a whole new set of things to get disappointed by. Um, so what I was actually looking forward to was not the new quarterback. It was the new coaching staff that would be selecting the new quarterback. Well, I've got some bad news for you on the coaching staff front. Last we spoke, I think we were all ready to run Jack Del Rio out of town. Yeah. Now, now everybody's, you know, writing apology letters to Jack Del Rio. Uh, in the three-game win streak, they've allowed 7, 21, and 16 points. So I don't know, maybe the defense is okay. Maybe that's something. Chase Young's coming back. Do you feel good about that in the long term? I mean, there's there's an argument to be made, as there always is when we get on these these podcasts. There's an argument to be made that, you know, um, Chase Young comes back and bolsters an already, you know, better than expected defense. Jamin Davis continues to improve and look maybe like a first-round pick, if not a, you know, top half-ish of the first round pick. Uh, Jahan Dotson comes back and adds another weapon to an offense that really seems to be, um, you know, have when it's looking good, looks very good. Um, you know, th- there's an argument to be made that the team could get better over the course of the year, but I, I, I don't believe that ultimately 
overall, that's what's going to happen. I think they're going to have a couple games where they look good and then three games where they look bad. And in the end, we're going to wind up exactly where we said we were going to wind up. This is what I keep coming back to. They are the most reliable thing over an 18-week span um, uh, of really any uh, sort of institution that I can think of. Uh, week to week, no clue. 18 weeks, absolutely. I, I, th- that point is taken. I think overall, I'm, I'm looking at three things, each of which I feel pretty good about. One is the last two weeks were really fun. I'm not even going to include the Chicago game because that was super ugly, 12-7 win on the strength of like a botched punt return by the Bears that turned into a touchdown for, for the Durs. So I'm not going to include the Bears game, but the Green Bay game and the Colts game, at least the end of the Colts game, those are both really – really fun wins that I was able to enjoy with my little, my little Dura super fan. So that was great. I'm, I'm having a good time. Three game win streak, 500 in November, Taylor Heineke's fun. Like at least we were able to find some enjoyment in this season. So that's number one. Number two is, I don't know. The defense is like league average. I'm not sure what the metrics are coming out of yesterday's game, but coming into it, they were like, I don't know, in the middle tier of, of NFL defenses. They allowed 16 points at Indianapolis. Uh, Okay, solid. You know, maybe we have a solid defense. Certainly, like the the front, you know, defensive line, and maybe if you want to include linebackers, but the defensive line looks good. Uh, so maybe there's something there, some foundational element. Also, like the offensive skill position, like that that skill group, McLaurin and Samuel are on pace for 2,000 yards plus as receivers. Both, you know, kind of dynamic playmakers. You got Dotson coming back; he looked good. You've got Gibson Robinson. I, I kind of like that 200, two-headed uh, tailback combo. Uh, I sort of like the offense going forward if you plug a good QB, QB into it. You know, so those are the three things. Having fun, and both the defense and the offense sans quarterback actually look decent. I'm interested to hear that this is how you characterize the Indianapolis game because I, full disclosure, was not sitting down and watching most of it. Not not because the team has frustrated me, although the fact that I was willing to take care of the things I had to take care of and run the errands I had to run probably implies something about my level of interest. Um, but I didn't sit down and start fully watching until about halfway through the third quarter um, when my son and I were able to finally stop running errands and settle down at some local uh, mediocre bar and grill establishment um, and watch the end of the game. So to me, yes, it was a pretty exciting game because they blew a lead uh, and then they mounted a furious comeback. But my understanding is that the first half of the game was basically a a rock fight um, that was completely uninteresting to watch. Was the ending so good that it outweighed the first half? Yes to both. I mean, you, you, you characterize this as a comeback by the Colts. I mean, the commanders had seven points. With five minutes left in the game, they had seven points. So the Colts had come back from seven nothing to seven three to seven six. <laughs> like it was that kind of game. It was not only a rock fight, but two very similar teams throwing rocks at each other, like two Spider-Man, like rock slinging memes, uh, you know, mirrored against each other. Um, it started earlier in the week when I noticed that Sam Eilinger could could basically be Taylor Heineke. Like he wears number four. He's sort of like like a smaller. NFL QB, mobile, uh, you know, sixth rounder slash not drafted player. Also wears those like tight white um, sleeves under his under his jersey that stop just above the elbow. You really could just like do a jersey swap, and Sam and Taylor would be the same dude. But also like the Colts overall, 
strike me as a very similar team to the commanders. You know, they were three, three and one coming into this, not, you know, no stars out there, <laughs> but some like quality backs, quality, quality players on the roster. And I don't know if these two teams play 10 times, I feel like they're going to go five and five. So yeah, it wasn't like an exciting win for the first 55 minutes and no, the offense was not very functional, but it was that sort of game, like just a low scoring close game. And then the final five minutes, I think I saw a stat that since the Santana Moss Monday night miracle against Dallas, this was the first time that Washington was down two scores of five minutes left and won the game. They were like one in 128. So put the Taylor McLaurin, Terry McLaurin and uh, Santana Moss highlights right next to each other. I would say that McLaurin catch was as, uh, I don't know, impressive and invigorating and, you know, potentially energizing, I mean, potentially season turning uh, catches and offensive efforts that I can remember from this team. That was genuinely an individual effort that was, you know, you're like, oh, wow, that's what it's like to have a number one wide receiver. That's a guy who earned the money. Like the way he not only located, high pointed and got his hands on the underthrown ball, but then ripped it away from a very good defender um, to instead of it being a back-breaking, game-ending, season-destroying interception, uh, it turns into setting up the game-winning score um, in the final moments. Like that's that was comparing it to the Santana Moss play. Leaving aside the statistical uh, continuity of it, uh, I would agree with that. It's it was really the same level of individual performance. It was pretty terrific to see, and it's also pretty cool to see Terry get that fired up. That's just not who you think of him as, and he was fired up it was that was good i liked that a lot but it was just my understanding as i said was that the first half of the game was not that no i mean it, it was it, they weren't totally inept they just couldn't sustain scoring drives and taylor had one awful interception in the second half uh but that mclaurin catch was fucking awesome it was it was, it was just there's, such there's... such a supremely badass play by our best player Yes. Uh, no, no, I have nothing negative to say about that. Now, what I do have negative to say about is I you said the offense, maybe if they could just find a quarterback and slot him in would be functional. I still maintain that the problem is that Scott Turner doesn't seem to know how to set up plays with earlier plays. I don't know. I don't know how to describe this because I'm not smart enough. I'm, this is not one of the times where I'm like, oh, I could do better. Like I could. He looks actually kind of like a me or someone like me playing Madden. Like, can you go on a run of a series of plays where they work and you get the defense, you know, on their heels a little bit? You're like, yeah, he definitely can. But I just never have that sense that he is doing one thing at one point to then use it as deception down the line. He just, I don't know. He, there, there's, there seems to me to be something fundamentally lacking in his abilities that puts a ceiling on this offense. And I wish I was smart enough to know exactly what it was i've heard a few people you know like the the x play recent x players turned analysts you know the coolies and logan paulson's of the world allude to the same kind of thing but i haven't heard anybody yeah. really articulate exactly what it is but there's something missing in the way scott turner calls an offense uh, that i think is limiting yeah i mean it's hard to say because like the offensive line is patchwork not not that i'm like one way or the other on scott turner but the offensive line is patchwork you went from Wentz to Heineke, you know, you're pretty compromised at quarterback, whether it's decision-making or complete lack of arm strength or what have you. 
but you've got five pieces at the skill position that I feel good about in McLaurin, Samuel, Dotson, Gibson, Robinson. Like that's five like playmakers. And and I don't know, that's that's kind of rare for us. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that, that part's great. That part's yeah. great. I just wish we had somebody who I felt like could make better use of them. I mean, the, the yeah. easy example to look at is like, you look at Christian McCaffrey in Carolina and he was great. I mean, he was terrific. Uh, and then he's been in San Francisco for what, one week, two weeks, I guess, you know, but only one full week and under an actual offense that is tailored to his strengths that flatters his strengths. You know, he had whatever, like 300 yards or whatever on earth it was to like 200 yards and a passing touchdown, whatever the hell he did yesterday. Um, it's seeing what the right offensive coordinator can do for a talented player. Just, you know, it, it makes me sad rather than happy. I mean, we went from you see, we went from we went from Carson Wentz to Taylor Heineke. That's like, you know, we went from the living room to the kitchen. It's not like it's not like a long walk from Carson Wentz to Taylor Heineke at this point in their careers. Well, one thing I was talking about Del Rio and, and the defensive metrics, uh, you know, commanders came in yesterday, 25th in scoring and they scored 17 yesterday. So I don't think that's going to go up. It's 25th. That's tough. It's hard to win when you're in the, you know, easily in the bottom third in scoring yesterday. Also, I should say, you know, we've been saying Heineke's name a lot. Uh, Robinson and Gibson could not get going whatsoever. And now I'm not putting it on them necessarily because it wasn't like they were, you know, missing big opportunities to, to run free. But neither one of those dudes ran for more than 20 yards. The leading rusher yesterday was Heineke. <laughs> so it is zero run game. Um, and overall, the offense has been pretty bad. I, I just don't know how much you put on on the coordinator uh, when you're you know, running out the undrafted Taylor Heineke and the, and the scrap heap Carson Wentz at QB. Uh, I don't know. I apparently put a ton on them. I, I have a question. I don't know if we leave this in or not, but is there a bird in the background? Uh, yes. Of... You'll be hearing some bird song. I'm on my back porch. It's very, it's very mild in Wilmington, North Carolina, even on Halloween morning. Um, so yeah, you'll hear some intermittent bird song. That is uh, some not... pastoral shit, man. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a nice coastal morning here uh, in, in Wilmington. Love it. Uh, what else do we have to talk about on this game? Well, we Anything? have... Yeah, I mean, we've studiously avoided any Dan Snyder talk, which is relevant to this game because Ursay, of course, is the one who came out and called Snyder out and then in turn got accused by Snyder of uh, violating league bylaws, which actually, I mean, given the portion that Snyder's attorneys cited, it it does in fact appear that Ursay was in violation of league bylaws by saying what he said. So <laughs> point point to point to Dan, I suppose. Um, but that whole thing Well, isn't that isn't that Dan's whole thing? Like, don't come after me, because I'll I will find dirt on you. That is the <laughs> dumbest thing I've yeah. ever heard. Dan yeah. Dan Snyder, for his many, 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 many flaws, arguably his biggest flaw is that he's terrible at things uh, and everything he tries to do fails. So show me one example of where Dan Snyder has successfully been like, I'm going to destroy you and then destroyed someone like Dave McKenna. Nope. Uh, uh, Bruce Allen. If we assume that Snyder's people were the ones who leaked those emails. Nope. Like sure. He successfully destroyed John Gruden's career, but he didn't care about John Gruden's career. That, that was hundred percent collateral and incidental damage. And Bruce Allen actually came out of it looking like 
just the same type of like sort of scummy guy that we all knew he was. But in the end, he's now positioned as a hero against Dan. Like nothing Snyder tries to do ends the way he wants it to end. So I'm not clear why anybody would be frightened of that threat. I, I don't know. That's just me. It's going to get dirty. But but yeah, it's it, it, you fight with fight with the yeah I, I don't know you get down with the dogs you're gonna get up with fleas is that the kind of thing we're going for yeah something like that yeah I couldn't remember yeah it's good enough sure uh, I will say the ongoing Snyder thing has definitely been a- adversely affecting my ability to enjoy the team um, in some ways it's just it's the same way he always has adversely affected our ability to enjoy the team or at least for the last fifteen odd years. But it's it's now approaching the point where the whole thing feels similar to like, you know, how we talk about you know, Browns fans who are like real excited about Deshaun Watson or whatever. It's it's how can we in good conscience? It's not just that he's like a dumb or bad owner or a sort of like petty, mean guy. It's starting to seem like, uh, you know, allegedly uh, he is a really bad dude who ran a really bad organization Um I, I don't know. It's it's very difficult to, um, you know, it, it's for me, it certainly doesn't help matters. I'll put it that way. You hate to say it, but much like Deshaun Watson, if the team was great and fun to watch and exciting, you might be able to be like, well, I'll find a way to justify this internally and I'll make some sort of offset, karmic offset donation. Um, but as things stand, the team as it's been run for years, appears to reflect the personality and abilities of him. And I don't know, do you have any of this or is this just me being like a, a whiny, uh, whiny person? No, I don't know. It's just like the Durs fans burden, you know, it used to be change the name. Now it's sell the team and we could just give up on the whole enterprise because it's ugly. You don't want to be associated with it on any level, but I don't know. I don't know if I could, I don't know if I could like emotion with any emotional honesty, just like cut ties. You know, so I, I got to hang in there and just try to be a voice for getting this dude the hell out of town. For me, it was whatever game it was where they wore those black uniforms. I don't think we talked right, after okay. that game. Um, yeah. yeah, that was the one where it was the easiest for me to just be like, who are these people? Like, I'm not this is not there is nothing left of the team that I rooted for growing up at all. That's that is all gone every Every facet and shred of it is gone. There are still a few elements left of the team that we were rooting for, you know, whatever, five years ago. Like, you know, um, there is the continuity. You are fortunate in that your son has, to his probable eternal sadness, um, become a fan. So you have that connection. I don't have that. My son doesn't care. My daughter doesn't care. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's really nothing about this team left to me that points to the happier days of Washington football fandom. Um, it's a weird feeling. So yeah, we I missed, could, we, we, I think we missed I, out on the homecoming game with all the legends. Um, it, it, it almost, it was almost like that was a good indicator of like not caring. I didn't like consume any of the, the legends content content, even though I'm pretty sure the posse was there. They were uh, like Art Monk, I think did the coin toss or something. Art Monk, who I believe if I remember correctly is your all time favorite, uh, Washington yeah. football player. Correct. Number one, number one player ever. Yep. Yep. Um, he did either the coin toss or something like he was he was there in a role um yeah and we didn't care because that's not i don't know to me they've just they've it's it's they've sucked all of the marrow they possibly could out of the you know nostalgia 
skeleton. That's it. There's nothing left. It's, it, 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 <laughs> there's no nutritive value left in that anymore. We need new memories. Yeah. And so then when you have somebody like Cooley being like, yeah, you know, I'm just not going to show up. No big deal. It's just, I don't, I don't feel connected to it. I'm not going to do it. Like, I think that does a lot of damage. Um, I think Cooley's offhanded dismissal of it. Um, I don't know to me, like if, if somebody like a Cooley, uh, you know, I guess Santana Moss was into it. Maybe Clinton Portis was there. I don't know. But like guys like that from the more recent history, if they had helped make it feel like an event, maybe we would have felt like it. Cause we, we were, you know, maybe not childlike fans, of those guys, but we were into those guys. That was, that, we, that was a lively era for us. Right. Yeah. Cooley Portis Moss. We had some good times and we had some patented wildcard teams. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, I definitely love those guys. I, but also Cooley's decision to not show up was the most understandable thing in the world. Like most of relatable course. thing, in, unless you just love the attention, you know, like what's the motivation or, or like maybe you just want to see the guys that you played with. Cause you, you don't get together that often or something. I don't know, but like, really what's the motivation? I, I just totally understood that decision. Um, it wasn't controversial. It didn't really need to be explained. <laughs> it was just like, no. oh, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm not, I'm not even remotely putting myself on the level of those people, mm -hmm. but I will say if they had been like, Hey, it's been, you know, whatever, 15 years since you wrote those blogs for us or whatever, come back and write one blog for this game. I'd be like, I absolutely do not want to be associated with this in public. Like I'm good, man. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> like I, I get it. And I didn't even have an acrimonious falling out with them, which I believe, I believe Cooley's departure was not entirely um, friendly. Like I think they got kind of, I thought there were only acrimonious departures <laughs> with, with the commanders. Well, um, yeah, I mean, that, that's about right. Uh, they're always acrimonious on one I side two, or the I other. Two straight, two straight thoughts I meant to mention earlier on the backups, too. One is, did you notice that after McLaurin made the catch, he ripped off his helmet and started yelling, you know, I own this city or whatever? Yeah. Why is that not earlier in the day? I'm sorry, you broke up real quick. He, like wanna... he, he ripped off his okay, helmet. So... He... Right. So... McLaurin catches the ball down at the one, rips off his helmet, and starts screaming, I own this city. Why is that not a penalty? I think they'd already taken the timeout. I think because it was in, in a stoppage of play, I think it's it's okay to take your helmet off, I believe. Oh, so oh, so you know what? Maybe I'm because I didn't notice it real time, and maybe it was because it was like a bang bang timeout. Yeah. You know, like then then he tears off his helmet. Okay, because I was watching the replays back because in my mind, I had just gotten done watching the Panthers-Falcons, where DJ Moore scores the crazy Hail Mary game-tying touchdown and gets a 15-yard penalty for ripping his helmet off, which cost the Panthers the win. Although, so you, you raise a good point, because a touchdown should be a clock stoppage also. So I think there's a different penalty for taunting than there is for just taking your helmet off which was the dj Moore penalty was it a taunting or was it like um just removing think, your helmet in the field of play i think it was removing your helmet i mean he was back in the end zone so i don't know like huh. you know whether it was taunting or if it was just like i don't know what the exact call was but it was like a 60 yard touchdown he pops up takes his helmet off and it's like flag immediately whereas mclaurin makes the 40 yard like game-winning catch 
pops up, takes his helmet off, and nobody's talking about it. I guess the distinction is there was a timeout on one, and the other one was just like a touchdown. I don't know. It just all seemed very stupid, and I really wonder if McLaurin like thought about that. If he was like, "Oh, timeout, we're good. I fucking own this city." <laughs> I I wouldn't be surprised. He just seems like such a together guy, but maybe we're overstating how together he is. And uh, I don't know. I I I I feel like when I was watching, I felt like there was a long enough pause. Like he didn't pop up and rip his helmet off. He popped up. Yeah. Yeah. There, there, there was a moment. The sideline. Yeah. 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 I, I think yeah. he may well have known. I don't know. I also could be wrong about the rules. Still, so. He was very much still like in between the hash marks. Like he was very oh, much yeah. like on the field. You know? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, I don't know. The whole thing was just funny because the DJ Moore play was spectacular. A spectacular throw and catch touchdown to tie the game at 34 with like 10 seconds left. And I just thought it was so stupid that not, not that he took his helmet off. I don't care about that, but that that's a penalty. Like he, he wasn't like took his helmet off and like slammed it on a dude or like even got in a dude's face. He was just like, so happy. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. It's a great yeah, question. Anyway. Maybe, yeah. maybe McLaurin's just so likable that they're like, oh, we're not, like, he's a nice fella. We're not going to call a penalty on that. DJ Moore. He a terp. Uh, the other thing that I just want to mention is, the NFC East combined record is the best in NFL history through eight weeks. The NFC East, I don't have it in front of me, but I think they're like 23 and six. Maybe 23 and eight, something like that. Yeah, because Washington has four losses. New York and Dallas each have two, and Philly's undefeated. The first, the top three teams would all be playoff teams, obviously, if the season ended today, and Washington would be the first team out due to a tiebreaker with, with San Francisco. So Washington is right now, uh, they're like the eighth team in a seven-team seven field. Which, the to me, the, it's great. It's a fascinating stat. It's, it's weird. The biggest takeaway is, please, can we just stop with the, like, easier schedule this year? Oh, I've gone through win-loss, win-loss, loss-loss, loss-loss, win. Obviously, they're going to beat New York. Like, no one knows anything. No, no one ever knows anything. This is the best example of it, but it's, it's, it's just a great exemplar of something that is always true. And you just, you don't know, you cannot look at in the way the league moves these days, you can no longer look at a schedule from last year and and predict anything about it for this year or next year. That's my takeaway. What I I don't like, if you look at the eight games that they've played, it's six close games that really could have gone either way. And Washington went four and two in those games. And then it's getting their asses kicked by Philly and Dallas. We have two more with Philly and Dallas. <laughs> and yep. Two more with the Giants. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna put that at like one and three. I don't know if I had to guess. I would guess that we'd go one and three against the NFC East, which yeah, puts, us about at, right. puts us at five and seven. Okay. Uh, and and then what? Five and three. So you have five other games. I I, I know we've got Minnesota and, and Captain Captain Kirk this week, but. Five other games that you would have to go like four and one in those other five to get to nine and eight. I well, and I don't some, believe some they can beat. Talk, but I'm just kind of giving you like the, the the picture of what the second half of the season looks like. Well, I don't believe they can beat Minnesota. Uh, I I will say that flatly. I don't believe the Kirk Cousins Kevin O'Connell revenge game. Um, uh, you know, against a bunch of talented skill players like Justin Jefferson is going to get 830 yards next week. Um, I don't know. I, I, so, so that's one loss. So who are the other four teams? Do, is there, 
anybody beatable on there? Well, so they they're Minnesota this week. I'm just checking real quick to see what do you think? What do you guess is the line on Minnesota? If I it's is it in Minnesota? Not that it matters. No, no, no. They're, yeah, Kirk's coming back to FedEx. Okay, so it's on a neutral <laughs> field. One, so one a neutral the, site one, game. The least, um, the least exciting hype uh, phrases right there. Kirk Cousins I, coming back to FedEx. I, if I were making the line, I'd say Minnesota by eight. <laughs> Minnesota by three and a half. Uh, hang on, hang on. The Colts were favored by three heading into this game, right? With Sam Ehlinger as their yeah. quarterback and yes. a bunch of like whatever mediocrity Washington esque stuff they have knocking around. And yeah. the Vikings somehow are only a three and a half point favorite. I mean, underestimating the, the home field advantage at FedEx Field in Raljon, Maryland. I, we are going to hear skull chants at FedEx Field in Raljon, Maryland oh my God. next week. Uh, you know the Vikings have won like five or six in a row. They've yes, won it's crazy. The Vikings are good. The Vikings have a ton of good players. They have like, they're fine. I'm not saying that they're in the you know Buffalo conversation, but it's insane to me. Three. If I could get Minnesota, if I were the type of person who gambled, and I could get Minnesota only giving three and a half, I would take that in a heartbeat. There's no way that uh, that's insane to me. I look forward to eating these words. I hope I get old takes exposed, but that's that seems bonkers to me. I don't expect Washington to win that game, but I am looking forward to it because if they were to to beat Kirk and and the Vikings, I mean, I just think that would be so fun and exciting to go on a four game win streak, to go above five hundred, to beat the QB that caused all this. Well, he didn't really cause it, but there was a lot of problems with him. <laughs> to be fair, he did virtually nothing. He's he's just yeah. kind of annoying. Um, he was basically just like, no, I don't really want to play here. Yeah. Um, or at least if I'm going to, I'm going to be rich. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so we've got the four remaining games of the NFC East, and then here's the other five teams. Minnesota, at Houston, Atlanta, at San Francisco, Cleveland. So, God. you know, not not a hard group of five there, but, you know, it's not easy. Minnesota, San Francisco, two good teams. Atlanta, Cleveland are okay teams, and Houston's bad team. Minnesota and San Francisco, good teams with coaches and or players and or both with extreme personal vendettas against the Washington organization. <laughs> uh, just extremely motivated. Uh, Atlanta, a mediocre team with a coach and probably some players somewhere that I'm forgetting who uh, has a minor grudge against the organization. Um, the or I guess I guess the coach is fine. The coach was, you know, what offensive quality control in 2008. But his father is almost single handedly responsible for the name change. So there's that uh, with Atlanta, uh, Cleveland and Houston. I got nothing I, like they are. Yeah. They are whatever. Um, so it, what that boils down to is you have to win Cleveland and Houston. I think a loss on either of those games uh, means that the season has ended somewhere along the line. Um, well, I mean, I think they're going to go one and three against the NFC East remaining teams. And then probably like two and three or three and two against that other five, the non-divisional five. Yep. Which would put you at seven or eight wins on the outside looking into the playoffs, you know, you, you would imagine. So the reality is they probably have to go like two and two against the NFC East and like three and two against the non-divisional five just to have a shot. 
Well, I think yeah. I think this actually goes back to your or bolsters your point about the Minnesota game next week. If if it's actually winnable, if there's something that I don't know that is the reason that this is an inexplicable three and a half point game, uh-huh. Washington has to win this one. Um, they have to steal this one, um, and and then the season actually there's a little more hope for the remainder of the season. I think a lot sort of hinges on this. They probably need to because they go to Philly the next week. So like if you get beat both those games, you're at four and six, you know, just the math gets hard, you know, although four and six is, is, is a like central casting record for Washington to make a late season wildcard run. Oh, sure. <laughs> like you, you make your wildcard run out of four and six. But really, if we split the next two games, Minnesota and Philly, to be at five and five, I, I mean, I think you're feeling great, all things considered, going into Houston on November 20th. <laughs> I can't even. All right. But again, well, now we come back to my original point that I made like three or four separate times, which is that yeah. who knows what's going to happen in the individual games. But at the end of all of them, they're going to be at about eight or nine wins. And yeah. maybe they'll be in the playoffs and maybe they won't. It kind of depends on what a bunch of other people do. The end. Hey. And and I, I'm, I'm so, so scarred that I'm actually happy with eight or nine wins because that means they were playing meaningful games in December. And that and that is like just being being 500 and not being, you know, four and 13 or whatever. Like, that's pretty much as good as it gets. For us, for, for like us, years. <laughs> yeah. God, God help us. But you're right. I mean, that's that is that is our Super Bowl is losing the wild card game. <laughs> I mean, well, losing the wild card is like winning the Super Bowl for us because that means we made the playoffs. Like making the playoffs is like our version of winning the Super Bowl. Uh, like making it to the Super Bowl, our version of that is like just being in contention in December. <laughs> I, I think you need to. We need a shirt that looks like the kind of banner they hang for like Super Bowl champions or whatever, yeah. but that like says wild card loss. Uh, but as if as if it was being hung in the rafters at uh, FedEx Field in scenic Real John, Maryland, I, I would buy one. I would be the only one who would buy one, but I would buy one of those. I think that would be a delightful shirt. Well, honestly, and we even talk about it this way. The Heineke game where he lost to Tom Brady in the wild card. That was our fucking Super Bowl, man. Oh, yeah. That was it. That, that was it. That was in 2020. OK. People still talk about. They talk about on the broadcast. I wear a shirt with him diving for the pylon. The legend, Taylor Heineke. The, yeah, that was that was the only time we've been to the playoffs since 2015. Yeah, and losing it close and making it competitive was the yeah. equivalent to winning the Super Bowl. That that that's <laughs> that's the best this organization can hope for. All they right. were seven and nine. <laughs> it's <was> so, <laughs> incredible. It's incredible. Listen. Let me just, I hadn't looked at this in a while. I hadn't looked at it in a while. Here's their record since 2017. Seven and nine, seven and nine, three and 13, seven and nine, seven and 10. You know, from a certain perspective, that three and 13 season is uh, impressive in its own way. Because usually they can't even, they're not even good at losing. They're just mediocre. But it's just, it's just like that was the Callahan or the Gruden Callahan season. Oh God! And now, so 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 Rivera's seven and nine, seven and ten this year, four and four. So this year's looking like it's going to be a seven and ten. 
but watch out next year for the three and three and fourteen. It's time. It's, <laughs> and then it'll be it'll be the Rivera and whoever is like the coordinator that can that is competent enough to take over as the interim. Jack Del Rio, <laughs> baby, leading the insurrection and taking over the team for the last half uh, of the year. Eh, it's a little dust up. Um, <laughs> um there was something I was gonna say off of that, but I can't remember what, and who cares? Um anything else on the on the Washington football team from you? No, I mean I think we've chewed as much meat off the bone as you could possibly chew. This has like been our like mid-season review preview of the second half. Re- recap of the first half. <laughs> we might True. not pot again until next year, but um I don't know. I mean this well, this feels this feels like it might be the high point of the season to be honest. I, like I think I think it I I feel strongly that it will be. Um yeah. maybe we maybe we can get one more meaningful loss out of it. Um and, and we can I, talk after that. I think the only way it's not the high point, like just looking at this at the schedule, at the forecast, I think it's that they split the next two and then they beat Atlanta to go to six and five heading into December. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. If they split the next two and then they win at Houston, they would be six and five. And I think that that's actually a slightly higher point. But that, that's as high as I can see from here. <laughs> Okay, well let's let's keep our fingers crossed. Meanwhile, did you uh, did you finish watching House of the Dragon? Where did you where did you land on that? Yeah, I liked it. I uh, I don't know. I feel like it's like a a really dumb show. That <laughs> I that I uh, looked forward to watching every week. And I mean, the real I think the real uh, barometer is like. Not only did I watch it every week, but I would watch it like every week on Sunday night at like nine or, you know, 10 o'clock, like whenever I was able to on Sunday night. And that's pretty rare, like appointment TV where I actually tune in the night it airs, like not many shows like that. I I thoroughly enjoyed it and look forward to it each week. So, yeah, Um, Yeah. B plus. Yeah, that's about where I landed. I I think for some reason, I feel like I enjoyed it more than I enjoyed most seasons of Game of Thrones. But I, I don't have I can't defend it. I have no rational reason for that. But I just felt like I felt like maybe more happened each episode uh, or or something. I don't know. The, the things that bothered people like the time jumps, I think maybe helped me out because it was like mm-hmm. there was very little like, oh, we're staying in one place for, you know, three straight weeks, incrementally moving the plot forward. It was like, nope, it's been 10 years six new actors figure out who these people are have fun um i really liked it i thought all the the performances were great um you know it was it was good stuff anything else how were your concerts last time we talked go ahead well one thing i was gonna say is like game of thrones even though i'm not a book reader i would like consume the content around the show week to week like learning more about the history and the characters and everything like i cared to know with this show i didn't give a shit like i didn't I didn't consume hardly anything around the show other than like the watch podcast, which spent was, which was basically a platform for Andy Greenwald to shit all over it. Yeah. (laughs) I I, I found Andy's takes. I actually thought he was a little like, obviously I liked it and he didn't. So take that for what it is, but I thought it just something in the framing of his arguments was, it felt like he had something underlying them about that was pissing him off about the production that I just wasn't, understanding like i i couldn't i couldn't get in line with his level of just sort of disgust with the whole enterprise yeah well what i what i enjoyed about it and i do listen to that podcast a lot but what i enjoyed about it was that it was so um like kind of out of step like it was 
like he was not just praising the, the show that was so popular and that a lot of people seem to love. He was just being really critical about it. It's kind of like why I loved that you were shitting on the bear. Like everybody loved the bear, loved the bear. And you were like, ah, man, tough hang. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't get through the first three episodes. I, I love that. Like, I, you know, everybody else is thinking one way. It's kind of interesting, at least with like, you know, cultural stuff that doesn't really matter. Um, <laughs> I have a different point of view. Yeah, as well, and I will say, especially on The Ringer, where I did consume much of the content, not only on The Ringer, but other places, and The Ringer alone was doing Talk the Thrones immediately afterwards, which was usually about 60 minutes. Then they would do um, the first, what was next, was the deep dive, which was like usually three hours, literally. Um, then they would do the portion of the watch which we just discussed which is usually probably let's say 20 minutes of a watch episode then yeah. they would do um trial by content was covering it that's usually about an hour <laughs> then they would do a mailbag or some other deep dive thing at the end of the week which was usually another couple hours. they were literally churning out something like eight to ten hours of content for each episode of house of the dragon um so having the willingness to have andy greenwald be like why would anybody listen to eight to 10 hours of content about this dumb bullshit was like a really uh, bold and interesting, interesting move. I was, I was pretty impressed with that. Yeah. I, uh, I'm trying to think I, I, sports has been so heavy right now that I'm not really like I'm, I'm I've kept up with Andor. I've enjoyed it. I'm, I'm not, I'm only one episode in and I just haven't gotten around to it yet. So that's one we'll have to do later. I just no, no, I have no contrary take. I just haven't had time. Um, my so. contrary, my contrary take on it is, again, I have enjoyed it. I'd say probably more than most Star Wars fare, but not as much as The Mandalorian. Um, is people are like, oh, this is like Star Wars for grownups, and I'm like, do I don't know, do like thirteen year olds count as grownups? Like, in the Star, at this point, yes. In Star Wars, yes, they do. <laughs> okay, because right. like I would watch this with my thirteen, or I don't have a thirteen. I'd watch this with like my eleven year old. You know, did you? Like it's not. It's not that mature. It's not that deep. Similarly, did you watch the Werewolf by Night Marvel thing that's on Disney Plus? No. Okay, so it's it. so it's an hour long. Uh, they call it a special presentation. They actually have a little intro that's reminiscent of when they would do like the uh, I don't know the Charlie Brown Christmas special or when the Grinch would show up on network TV when we were kids, and they had like the rainbow introduction, like a CBS special presentation kind of thing. Um, so basically, it's a one hour standalone. So it's like the length of an episode of a, a, a series, but it's new characters, new thing, but it's all done in black and white. This one is in the style of like a creature feature uh, movie. Now, most of the tone is is the Marvel sort of adventure glib uh, humor tone. I, I, I we, we it took us forever to watch it. We watched it last night as sort of a spooky season, um, you know, family thing. And. It was great. It was easily my favorite Marvel thing that they put on Disney Plus because it was one hour. It was self-contained. There were some goofy bits. There were some funny bits. There was some violence. There was some some uh, style to the whole proceedings. It, it was, and then you were out and you were done. And there was no like, oh, what's what's going to happen next? Who's the kingpin? Whatever. It was like, it was really, it was a delight. So should you need to kill uh, fifty-five minutes with your family for spooky season? There's worse ways yeah, to do it. I, I wish I'd gotten this tip before Halloween. I don't know if we. Can yeah, sorry about spooky that. Spooky season extends post November one. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I believe uh, Greek Orthodox spooky season runs an extra three to five weeks. I'm making that up. I have no idea. 
Um, how were your concerts? That's the other pop culture thing. Last time we talked, you had at least one, if not two, dad concerts coming up. Um, yes, I'm trying to think of the timeline. So I think I had my morning jacket and the war on drugs lined up for like the week after we spoke. Uh, the war on drugs concert got canceled. No. Yes, because oh, of a hurricane. I'm so sorry. Hurricane Ian spoiled what was going to be just my number one most anticipated concert experience here in Wilmington since I've, since we moved here 14 years ago. Uh, so the war on drugs did not play, have no plans to play. I really hope they come back. I don't think they will. Cause like, it wasn't like a sold out venue or anything. <laughs> so uh, yeah, war on drugs. Really glad I saw him in DC best band in the world. Uh, check them out. My Morning Jacket did play here, and I'm a pretty big My Morning Jacket fan. Not like I don't like love them, especially like the last ten plus years of recorded material. But um, they put on a great show, man. If you get a chance to see My Morning Jacket, I would I would take it. Uh, their frontman Jim James is like just a showman. He's out there like dancing, interacting with the crowd, just hamming it up. Great voice. They rock out. They're jammy, uh, but also like a lot of the songs are like just very catchy and kind of instantly, uh, you know, recognizable, or at least if you don't recognize it, you can kind of lock into the groove. But My Morning Jacket, I, I had seen them once before at 930 Club in D.C. like 15 years ago. It had been a long time, and uh, that was just a great, fun show. Excellent. Well, I'm, I'm genuinely uh, devastated for you about the War on Drugs show. Like, I, I had no interest in myself, but I'm, that's, that's heartbreaking. <laughs> just, yeah, just too bad. So, <laughs> so let's see. So I, I told you I was seeing Sunday Real Estate. I saw Sunday Real Estate. They were absolutely oh. great and would have changed no minds whatsoever about who didn't already like Sunday Real Estate. I loved it. But then did they, did they adequately emote for you? Did, I, did I, I did. I felt like, uh, you know, my soul had been bared. I felt like I was, you know, 17 and crying uh, angrily into the void. Yeah, no, it was it was delightful. Uh, the one funny thing they kept doing uh, keep in mind, this is a band that had not toured since 2010. Um, they were playing at the Fillmore in Silver Spring, which is a perfectly rock solid venue in uh, suburban Maryland, uh, just outside of D.C. And there they kept being like, wow, you know, I can't believe it's so weird to be back. It's so weird to be back. And you could feel everybody in the audience being like, uh, you were actually at a different venue last time. This wasn't even open yet, <laughs> which was which was kind of funny. Um, but then. <laughs> Then a couple weeks later, um, I was uh, a friend um, very kindly gave me some free tickets to go see the Smashing Pumpkins uh, play uh, an arena show at the whatever it's called now. Um, not MCI, not Verizon. You saw, at, you saw them at the bank. Cap one. Yes, at Cap One. Um, did they and, fill, did they fill that? Did they fill that up? They did. So that's the thing. So when I received these these free tickets, I assumed that meant that there was like some difficulty filling seats and they were just kind of, you know, you know, tickets were just out there on the streets. That was not the case. The The venue was packed. It was packed with people who were deeply excited to hear uh, recorded Smashing Pumpkins material, much of which was from the last two decades. Um, and I thought it was dreadful. I thought it's very rare that I leave really? a concert and I'm like, that was not good at all. Like, you know what I mean? Usually there's energy. There's like the one of a kind kind of feeling. This was uh -huh. one. And maybe it's because I didn't have a buy. -in. Maybe it's because I went for free. But like, I just thought the band sounded bad. I thought their song selection was 
atrocious because I mean, I don't know if you're, I, I believe you, you like the pumpkins. Okay. I don't think you're a huge fan. If I remember correctly, yeah, I, I, I was a fan during the Siamese dream, melancholy, like adore stretch. Right. So if you picked, you could, you could cherry pick without even just doing the hits, you could cherry pick a rock solid, whatever, 15 song live show that would be all killer. Right? I would call that, I would call that just play Siamese dream. Thank you. Sure. Just play Siamese dream. A couple good things off Gish. Uh, yeah. You know, the one good track off a door and a yeah. few selections from Melancholy, if you must. Yeah. Like, fine. Great. That would uh, be great. Yeah. That would be great. The, the point that's, is. That's assuming they're a legacy act. Like, they still put out all these records, right? Like, I don't know yeah. anything about the last 25 years of Smash Puppets. Well, there is a literally a two part, seven hour band splain episode, uh, not only including uh what's her name the band spline host but also what's his name the 60 so rob harvilla from 60 songs that explain the 90s that will give you an exhaustive level of detail on the last 25 years of the smashing pumpkins uh it does not make you appreciate it anymore but it it exists um yeah real bad do not recommend made me sad um and it was made all the worse by every time they played a good song you, you were like why wouldn't you just just play the next song on this album just why wouldn't you do that you're, you're insane uh yeah. anyway so that's my my sad dad rock story for you uh, not as sad as your um war on drugs story but sad yeah. nonetheless yeah i that's... especially pokies are a weird one too even without knowing anything about the band i never really liked the band like even though i liked their music I don't know. They just seem like an unlikable, <laughs> unlikable group. Well, so now, I, believe, I don't really have any space for them. I believe that would be hours about uh, two through five of the seven hour long two part right. band splain episode. Um, <laughs> right. so yeah. It covers that pretty thoroughly. Um, I, do, that, I don't know if I have I anything else. Yeah, I, it, that's what I got. It's almost uh, it's almost holiday uh, Christmas vinyl season for me by the way so if you want to, if you want to devote like 10 15 minutes to, to christmas vinyl records next time around I'll, I'll be ready so i have i have a I, I have a small investment in the vinyl universe finally which is that we oh. got we got an old um we had a jukebox in my house growing up which has somehow wound up in my current home um and we went and we had it repaired and it's now functional so i'm now at least purchasing 45s uh to fill out the jukebox oh, in my house you have, you have a jukebox uh-huh incredible so i have like somebody else's collection of 45s that i have nothing to do with and they're really good wow <laughs> well like like yeah a really good collection so maybe i'll sell it to you this is this is some real <laughs> gift of the magi ship maybe i'll just ship you my jukebox um <laughs> Yeah, I think my records are better than your jukebox. So, <laughs> uh, almost certainly. Although my jukebox, you're probably picturing like a vintage '60s style thing. Oh no, yeah. this is a circa like 1973 thing that looks like it belongs in a roller skating rink next uh, to a, a cigarette machine where you pull yes. the things. Like that's what this you thing looks I, like. You know what I actually? You know what I actually want is a cigarette machine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who doesn't? <laughs> Like, okay, I'll put it in my garage. Put it in your garage. Fill it with, uh, you know, decks of cards, and, and you know, cigarettes are too expensive to fill a machine with these days, I believe. But uh, yeah, all right, man. <laughs> let's make a promise to each other that no matter what happens next week, we're not going to talk or podcast. <laughs> Deal. Sounds right, good. Talk to you later. Talk, bye. bye.